TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. Hoodwinked in the Hothouse, Indigenous Resistance to Climate False Solutions. By all records, fossil fuel burning has increased in spite of the quarter-century-long efforts of the United Nations Conferences of Parties, now in Glasgow, with COP26. That's in part due to the power of big oil corporations, but also because of the promotion of and subsidies to false solutions. One of the speakers on this program calls the conferences of parties literally a festival of false solutions. That includes nuclear power, fracking, and so-called natural gas, mega dams and hydropower, hydrogen, bioenergy, waste incineration, and landfill gas, and more. Most of these false solutions have disproportionately affected indigenous and poor communities, but their sacrifices, as well as their resistance and victories, have remained unknown or been ignored. In preparation of COP26, the webinar Hoodwinked in the Hothouse, was posted on the channel of the Indigenous Environmental Network. The IEN was founded in 1990 within the United States. They are supporting indigenous communities and tribal governments in the U.S. and abroad. On today's excerpt from Hoodwinked, we hear from Candy. She's Mandan Hidatsa and Arikra from what is now North Dakota and a member of the Indigenous Environmental Network. She begins with a moving personal account of how her and her tribe's lives were devastated by the recent arrival of fracking in the Bakken oil share formation. Here's an introduction to Hoodwinked in the Hothouse by Gopal, He teaches in the Race and Resistance Studies at San Francisco State and also Antioch University. I was asked to share just a little bit of context of the relationship between false solutions and the Conference of Parties process of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And the first thing that popped into my mind was, well, The Conference of Parties is a festival of false solutions. And this uh, most recent Conference of Parties uh, in Glasgow is particularly a false solution for even advancing false solutions because it should not be happening at all in the context of the pandemic. The Conference of Parties from the beginning since the Kyoto Protocol has been this festival of false solutions, as I said, from the clean development mechanism to the push for geoengineering, which is coming forward full force in COP26. And while at this time every year, the mainstream media, and in fact, the mainstream of the climate movement, turns its attention to whether governments will take action to address the climate crisis, or in the case of the mainstream climate movement, demanding that governments take action to address the climate crisis, the climate justice movement gears up not with the false hope that something good will come out of these negotiations, but to stop the worst of what is being put forward. 
from REDS to geoengineering to carbon markets to offsets, and to hold governments accountable to the best language in the framework convention itself, the notion of common but differentiated responsibility, that the rich countries are the ones responsible and the rich countries must make the changes necessary. Indigenous peoples, small island nations, some global south states, and many social movements from La Via Campesina, the global movement of peasants for food sovereignty, to grassroots frontline communities across Turtle Island and the world, have led the interventions against these false solutions and have demonstrated the real solutions. Do not think of the cops as a way of negotiating climate solution. Think of cops as primarily a vehicle for co-optation. They take important principles such as the protection of biodiverse intact forests by indigenous peoples and turn them into cash crops through reds. They take negative emissions that we know we can get to by restoring indigenous sovereignty, food sovereignty and agroecology, energy democracy and the decommodification of land and turn it into a justification for extreme disturbance of planetary life support systems through false and um, unproven technologies. And we cannot let them sell the lie that we can sell out the rivers with dams or fell the forests or um, burn trash or other extreme energies simply as a workaround to addressing the fundamental failures of a system that is eating the planet alive. I want to just close by saying what an honor it is to be in space with so many amazing indigenous leaders who have led the way and who are the front lines of the resistance to false solutions and who through the struggle for sovereignty and for free prior and informed consent have managed to stop geoengineering experiments in the Americas and in Sweden and continue to be the best hope for the restoration of land, labor, and livelihoods. Thank you. All right, thank you, Gopal. With this, we're gonna begin the first round of questions. Briefly introduce the work of your community, nation, movement, organization, and bring the audience up to speed about your struggles versus false solutions. So we'll begin with Candy. Candy, over to you. Hello, relatives. My name is Eagle Woman. I am Mandan Herata Arekra from so-called North Dakota in the so-called United States of America, also known as Turtle Island. And I'm very honored to be here today representing myself and also the work I do with the Indigenous Environmental Network. It's very difficult to answer this question in such a short time frame, but I will do so showing pictures of my lived experience as a Mandan Herata Rikara woman who grew up on a reservation in North Dakota that has had to deal with a lot. And this is a story that encompasses a lot of our indigenous populations in the United States and Canada and why we find ourselves in the situations that we find ourselves in now when it comes to the climate crisis and when it comes to fossil fuel development. So I'm hoping to give an understanding of a bigger picture of our experiences as people who ma de long time ago 
lived on the land. We relied on the land. We lived in earth lodge villages along the waters because we were farmers. We grew corn, we grew squash, we, we grew beans, and our men even tended their own tobacco. We had a lifestyle in which our villages were connected and took care of each other as peoples together in a, in a whole family, a whole village of a community. And what happened was smallpox came and colonization began happening. And we started seeing all of these things where other tribes were being pushed from the East Coast to the Midwest and onward as colonization came to the now so-called United States. And that's when we started getting put into reservations. Ours was the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1851. The Mandan, Hiratsa, and Rikra nations, three separate nations were put together on one reservations because our numbers had been so decimated by smallpox. And we were so similar that we were now known as the three affiliated tribes by the federal government. Instead of earth lodges, we then began living in structures that were built for us by white men. The year was 1860. There's a reason why our reservations are start with the name Fort. My reservation is called Fort Berthold. That's because it was actually a fort that we weren't allowed to leave. We were placed on this land. And at that time, it was 12 million acres. It has over the years been seceded by presidential and executive orders to just under 1 million acres where it is today. They put us here because they figured there wasn't anything here. <laughs> there was no resources, it wasn't valuable land. Well, as it turned out, the very first thing that happened to my people is that we were flooded out of our lands. Flooding in St. Louis and Missouri that was happening because they were mismanaging their waterways started happening. So a series of dams was built. Every single dam was built below a reservation. Mine, Fort Berthold was flooded by the Garrison Dam. It was the largest earthen construction project at the time. And by the time our tribal chairman signed on to this project, he's there crying this picture, our chairman, George Gillette. They were already $60 million into the construction by the time we agreed to it. So that was the first thing that happened. First, it was the reservation. And then we were forced off of our bottom lands, which was where all of our class one and class two agricultural lands were flooded. We were forced onto the high ground. That's when we became ranchers. You know, they told us you have to have cattle. You have to be living this way now. Your agricultural lands are flooded and you're gonna go live on the high ground. And then another assault came in the form of the fossil fuel industry. North Dakota is one of the highest, largest um, lignite coal states in the country. And so as a child, I had heard from my grandparents how we had been displaced. And then I started to get taught in school how it was so important for me to go into the fossil fuel industry. So here I am as a seventh grader, standing in a, in a, in a dump of one of these large industry places being told this is my future. And then after that, we've seen contamination of mercury in all of our waterways. Every single bit of our over 11,000 miles of rivers, lakes, and streams in North Dakota is contaminated by mercury. And now we have the oil development for fracking. Fracking only began in 2005 when the Energy Policy Act was changed. It was the Halliburton loophole called that because the former CEO of the company, Halliburton, was able to put a loophole in to say that we didn't have to tell what the chemicals were that we were using as company. Well, I shouldn't say we, they, as oil companies, didn't have to tell the chemicals that were being used. That's why fracking is allowed to continue. 
because of this Halliburton loophole that changed in the 2005 Energy Policy Act. It's also why it's so devastating to our people. Here we are on a reservation where they put us thinking there was nothing there, but then it turned out we had coal. It turned out we had oil. And in North Dakota, they're fracking for the oil, not the natural gas. The natural gas is actually a byproduct. And so we started seeing all of these rigs popping up all over. Places where my grandma used to fast, like this place, were no longer available to us. We were seeing these in our wheat fields, these signs that said industrial zoned. No longer were we the breadbasket of the country to feed the rest of the country. We're now a site where trucks infiltrate our roads, where they take over our cisterns and our waterways, where they kill people and have killed people in accidents, running on the roads, running people over and have dumped their frack water right onto the highways. And they have done this all unjustly. And as a result of a system of the way our reservation was set up and the jurisdiction laws between native people and non-native people were set up. So there's a history here of this setting up of indigenous peoples so that when accidents occur like this spill, nothing is done. The spill in 2014 has contaminated our land. It's still contaminated. We had to do our own studies to find out that this earth is still radioactive. They put little sandbags out when we have spills and say, this is gonna protect our waterways. Yeah, our water has blue-green algae blooms killing our fish. And this is what our people drink. This is actual water taking out one mile from our water intake plant. No doctoring, this was blue. And they told us it's fine. Little did we know that they're toxic blue-green algae blooms. You shouldn't drink the water. You shouldn't swim in the water, which we were. And then we started having fish kills. Now, North Dakota is in the central part Midwest, right in the middle of Turtle Island. It's the geographic central of North America. We're very rural. So these lights here, those aren't, those aren't lights. No, they're flares. They're flaring the natural gas because it wasn't economically viable for them to capture the natural gas. So when they talk about natural gas as a bridge fuel and you see issues like in Texas, when water is being shut down, power is being shut down, they're saying, oh, what are we gonna do? We have no energy. They're just flaring all this natural gas even, not even capturing it because it's not economically viable to them. So we're breathing this in. Our children are having asthmas, cancers, all of our people are sick because of the carcinogens, which are cancer causing. And these are just a few that come along with fracking. These things that we breathe every day that go into our water, that go into our soil, which we grow our food in every single day happening to our communities. But yet there's a social aspect of the man camps that came and they just started to destroy our communities. People from around the world looking for jobs in industry. It's all about jobs, they say. We started seeing violence against our women, rape. We started seeing missing and murdered indigenous women increasing, violence on the rise. We started seeing drugs. So when people like Ashley here got caught up in heroin that came when the industry came and when she died, people said, well, she was one of those druggies. She didn't get the help that she needed as a result of an industry that brought this violence to us in this colonized world, that capitalism that brought us to this point to where our own leaders say, we fought against the reservation and we lost. 
We fought against our lands being flooded and we lost. We fought against the coal and we lost. And so why not? If you can't beat them, join them. And so a lot of our leaders in Indian country today are in this struggle of having to depend on either becoming economically dependent on our own cultural destruction. I'll check there. Thank you. That was Candy. She participated in Hoodwinked in the Hothouse, Indigenous Resistance to Climate False Solutions. Later in this webinar, it was her turn again to speak about the work they have been doing. Here's what she had to say. I started out talking about a very personal story of my community, and now I want to share, like you said, what work we've been doing internationally this what's the bigger picture so as the indigenous environmental network we work against this false solutions of carbon markets and carbon trading this idea of reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation which is pushed within the united nations some of our early work was saying actually this is reaping profits from evictions land grabs deforestation and destruction of biodiversity that's what red projects are well, going into this COP now, they're just talking about, um, you know, they've changed the language to be very dangerous language around net zero and pushing for things within Article 6 and talking about how they're going to decrease the emissions in the sky, the carbon dioxide emissions. They don't ever talk about keeping it in the ground. That's not on the agenda at COP26. Fossil fuels mining, uranium industry, these things are not on their agenda. And this is the 26th conference of the parties. And while all of that is happening, these REDS projects, the Amazon rainforest is being destroyed as a result of what they call solutions. This picture shows their solution because what they do is they say, oh, it's okay for us to destroy the lungs of the earth, which is the Amazon rainforest. We can we can clear cut that. Um, and I know that they say that because I meet my friends in these spaces, the United Nations spaces, my friends tell me this is what is happening in our communities, Candy. This is what they're doing to us. They're coming in and they're displacing us and telling us how we're going to operate and how we're going to run. My friend Gloria here is actually on a list of a person who is endangered because of speaking out against injustices in her community around oil and around the industry. She's in the global south and she's still standing up fighting. And I take so much pride and respect in knowing these women and these, these fighters and these warriors, because even though I have what I showed you happening here in the belly of the beast in the United States, I have a certain privilege just by being here. And we have to lift up our brothers and sisters in the global south, many of whom can't even go to these United Nations conferences, especially this year from being shut out, which is great for the government because they'll try to sneak in anything that they can to continue using carbon trading and carbon offsets as their solution, which is a false solution. And my brothers and sisters in Australia, we've worked with them. I've reached out and I've worked with the Seed Youth Mob in Australia, and I've gone there because they were told that fracking in the Northern Territories wasn't gonna 
upset anything that all it was was going to be a hole on the ground the size of a billy can and that they didn't have to worry about fracking so i went to them and i told them my struggle and my story and they were like what the companies lied to us yes because even if you have free prior and informed consent that doesn't include necessarily the actual reality of what it's going to look like what these details mean the devil is in the details so they'll lie to communities about reds projects they'll lie to communities about fracking coal uranium and other mining but then get some person maybe one or two people on a tribal council or in a leadership position to sign up and therefore they consider it cleared and so we continue to meet with our aunties in other countries like my aunties here that i met in australia fighting to protect country meeting with our relatives when I was in Bonn, Germany, who were again fighting a coal plant, a coal, huge mining operation, where they were just clear cutting and destroying and mining and strip mining and destroying lands. So meeting with people and understanding the struggle globally from a local perspective to an international perspective and becoming a sky protector as a result of knowing the truth. There is so much power in the truth and we can all get behind understanding the truth by joining our organizations and doing a little bit of research and going out on the front lines and speaking back about what's happening in our own communities locally, but then also expanding that to work with international organizations like we can, Women's Earth Climate Action Network, doing really good work, lifting up women in their stories, or organizations like Madre, who is amazing, connecting women internationally and bringing us all together to share our stories and our struggles so that we can work collectively. We do things at home like the water blessing and healing walks that we haven't been able to have because of COVID, but we've had prayer circles uh, virtually. We've gone to DC several times, Washington DC to say, this is not what we want in our communities. Listen to us as indigenous peoples, listen to the stories that we have about how to tackle and combat the climate crisis. We set up teepees on the lawn and make, make ourselves known because we're always facing invisibility here in the United States. Our populations were so decimated by colonization that we now only make up 2% of the population in the United States. So we have decided to do a just transition program and curriculum. This is at the Haskell Nations Indian University in Lawrence, Kansas, where we are implementing a just transition program right within our schooling. And we are reaching out to higher institutions to do this as well. We are reaching out to elementary schools to stop brainwashing our kids like I was and to teach our kids what it means to have a transition. And there is no one size fits all. That's what the US tries to do and what the United Nations tries to do is one size fits all is gonna save us and that does not work. We have to do small scale local distributed actions and education forums. We are building earth lodges in our community again, remembering our culture, bringing back our culture, how we used to live. Sure, this one has a cement floor because it's a modern version that we can use for cultural programming, for teaching our language that yes, is unfortunately being lost. And it's been a struggle to learn because of the boarding school eras and how our grandparents were beat if they spoke their language by a US government system that actually has a termination era where they tried to kill us, but we survived 
our grandmothers survived and we're still here fighting trying to find ways for energy to work for us so small scale distributed systems of power like Lakota Solar Enterprises. Henry Redcloud once told me he knows how to build a solar panel using bone and ash and the sun and a blower in order to create power and energy. And it's not energy of what we're wasting right now. It's not energy to power like cities. This is at Standing Rock where the pipeline, this runs right by where the pipeline runs. So there's a, 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 um, a solar panel array there now. But we need small scale. We need to uplift our communities like native renewables because these large scale corporate schemes in wind and solar, you heard, they're digging out the precious minerals in South America once again to have these giant corporations and to continue to make money about it. That's not what it's about. It's about not just surviving, but also thriving, but not off the backs of other people. And let's talk about our food systems, because if we can't even feed ourselves, we're not truly sovereign nations. Our indigenous principles of just transition show um, these booklets that we have. We can go on ienearth.org and you can actually look into the booklet yourself and make it make sense for your community. This is one of the projects that we're working on as the Indigenous Environmental Network to show what a just transition might look like in our communities. We are having basket making sessions in our communities where my husband was able to help organize a three day workshop to relearn our culture and use our own baskets instead of plastics, for example, in our community, because this is what we used to do a long time ago. We are able to bring community members together to relearn our culture, to laugh and to tell stories to grow small scale community gardens, which are able to produce enough crops. Our communities are small <laughs> so that we can roast and dry enough corn to give every elder in our community this year, one bag, one bag of corn and beans. So every elder was able to, to make their own corn soup, one of our traditional foods. And, and we're gonna grow that project. If we don't speak for them, who will? These suits at the conference in the United Nations? No, our kids are sacred. Our kids are precious, just like all of the four-legged and the winged and those that swim in the waters. They need us to be the voice for them. If we don't speak for them, who will? That's the work that we do at the Indigenous Environmental Network with our allies as a whole, the It Takes Roots Coalition, who now has our hoodwinked in the Hot House pamphlet that you guys saw and you can get online to talk about all of the false solutions and to call them out. And we're doing it because it's common sense, because we collectively as humanity need to save ourselves. Matsik odds, everybody. I'll stop there. Um, thank you. That was Candy. She's Mandan, Hidatsa, and Awikra from what is now North Dakota and a member of the Indigenous Environmental Network. She took part in an almost two-hour-long webinar entitled Hoodwinked in the Hothouse, Indigenous Resistance to Climate False Solutions. It was held in preparation of the COP26 in Glasgow and you can find the full recording on the YouTube channel of the IEN, the Indigenous Environmental Network. 
and as Candy mentioned, Hoodwinked in the Horhouse is also a free multilingual publication that helps identify false solutions and how to resist. My thanks go out to the Indigenous Environmental Network and the many organizations who participated in the webinar, the writing of the pamphlet, and the events at the COP26 in Glasgow. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. My name is Maria Gelerden. Thank you for listening.